Horse Racing Heroes is proudly sponsored by Horse Racing Ireland. For more great racing stories, sign up to our weekly newsletter on hri.ie. Horse Racing Ireland, for every racing moment. Hello there, and welcome along to Season 2, Episode 10 of Horse Racing Heroes, the racing podcast with no betting tips or news chat, but with every episode simply being about one great horse or person in racing. And this episode is about Istebrek, and it's with his owner, J.P. McManus, two individuals who need absolutely no introduction. Uh, it was just incredible to get to meet and interview J.P. He was incredibly kind and generous with his time, as you'll soon hear, and I think there are some great stories in there about how he started off in the game before we get on to the brilliant story of Istebrek himself. And JP was even kind enough to let me meet the horse after our chat, so if you want to see a photo of that, go and have a look at my Twitter, linked in the show notes. Um, just before we begin, a quick word of thanks to the show sponsors, Horse Racing Ireland. HRI are kindly sponsoring all 10 episodes of season 2 of this podcast, and I am absolutely delighted to be part of the HRI stable. I've put some links in the show notes so you can check out some of the other great racing content they produce, or you could simply search their hashtag every racing moment. Now that is enough from me, so let's get listening to the great man, JP McManus. JP, we're here to talk about Istebrek, but before we get to him, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into racing and subsequently racehorse ownership. Well, uh, I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad did a bit of farming and he did plant hire business. And uh, we kept a few an Irish draft mare and used to sell her progeny. And so I did an interest in horses from a young age. And uh, I was always interested in gambling. And uh, there was a part of my life. And I uh, used to bet every Saturday afternoon it was kind of my fix for the week but I used to go to the betting office and bet every Saturday and in them days I used to bet in a betting office in Limerick and it was the shilling and the pound on uh, wind bets and uh, on uh, if you'd done a double there was no tax providing one of the horses started at evens or better so then, while doing that, I enjoyed it, and you know, it was uh, overnight they brought in a tax of 20% paid on, mm -hmm. and uh, there was no concessions. So basically, if you, if you were having five pound on a horse, you had to put down six to get back 10, so you were betting six to four on an even money chance. Mm -hmm. So I gave up betting overnight. I said, I'm not standing for this. And I just gave up. It was probably the best uh, increase in taxes that uh, worked in my favor. <laughs> so I <coughs> worked with my dad. I was on the plant aisle driving a bulldozer at the time and uh, started to try and save my money because I wanted to become a bookmaker. So I'd started that at 17, and when I was 21, I took out a bookmaking license. And uh, I went to the track, 
that's the markets feel now the Greyhound track there and I served my time there uh, didn't find it easy at the start uh, went skint a few times I had to go back to my dad looking for my job back and I got a few quid again and I'd go again but you know that went unnoticed because I didn't know anybody. I, 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 my dad wasn't very. Uh, he wasn't over pleased when I was going bookmaking. He he didn't like the idea of it. Or, but uh, he, I won't say he warned me, but he advised me that it's all right going into it. Just don't get yourself into debt. So, and uh, if you promise me that, you have my blessing. You know, so, you know, there was a, I was the eldest son, there was a, I'd gone to him when I was on the plant hire, I'd gone, gone to him, I was a little bit cheeky, I suppose, uh, when I looked back on it and I said, we had a farm and I was doing my leave and said, not with much success, I had to repeat Irish in order to pass it. So I went to my dad and uh, my younger brother, the, five of us in the family but he was behind me he'd gone off to college and he gave up on it and uh, he came back to work and I went to my dad and I said dad you know this farm this place it's not it's not big enough for two of us there were 66 acres 60 and he said uh, I have news for you it's not for two of you it's for five of you so I <laughs> like I said, you know what? I thought about it. This isn't the life for me. I've got to, I've got to uh, go on. But in fairness to him, he said, listen, when I was going doing the bookmaking, he said, your position won't change. It's for mm -hmm. five of you. I do. So he, he was fair. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyways, I said, I went skint a few times. Then you get a break or two, and you know, you, you know, you manage to keep the wheels on the bike and uh, you know you settle down if you like and then in uh, 1976 uh, there was a mare came for sale Kildara and uh, she had won the Cesarevich and the Nace November handicap she came for sale I think I spent about 30,000 on her at the time Irish pounds and she was quite successful the first day she ran. For me, she ran at uh, Nace. Uh, she, I think she had 10 stone three. She was ridden by Raymond Carroll, father of Gary now. Okay. <coughs> and uh, it, uh, she won at Nace. Uh, she didn't win very far, but she beat Joanna Morgan on a horse trained by Seamus McGrath. She went on later that year to land at Cesarevich and uh, we gave her a run over Huddleston but she didn't seem to enjoy that so we just retired her to stud. Mm -hmm. So that was my entry into racehorse ownership. I went to the following year, 78. Uh, I, uh, I thought Golden Signet was something special so I remember going to Edward O'Grady to see if the owners would be interested in selling him and and uh, he came back that no but he 
suggested jacket trumps uh, would be for sale. He was owned by a friend of mine, P.P. Hogan. And uh, anyway, I purchased jacket trumps and uh, he went to Cheltenham that year. I didn't back him now, but he was odds on. He was, I think he started 8 to 11 in the four mile chase and he, uh, he fell uh, the final circuit. Uh, it was going quite well, but anyway, the same year I bought another horse. I bought him at the uh, Tattersalls in June. I think we gave 7,800 for him and he won the Galway Plate that year, 1978. So I had a, I had a lucky, uh, my early forays were, were lucky in racehorse ownership, but then I kind of stuck to the jumps. I got a lot of kick out of winning that first Galway plate and, you know, a lot of <coughs> excitement went with it. You make your own look, first of all, but... Uh, uh, I was, I was, I've been very lucky, mm. I have to say, you know, uh, I remember going to the dogs in Limerick in at the early stages and uh, I remember standing this uh, bitch, you little daisy was her name, and I remember standing for more than I could afford, really, mm. or and uh, she broke in front and she was about eight lengths in front going around the last bend and they couldn't get the traps off the off the track they couldn't get them back in yeah. anyway the bitch uh, she got injured and uh, the race was declared void so it was a break it was sad for the for the connections and for the course, yeah. greyhound but uh, it was unfortunate but you know, it's uh, for me at the time. Maybe I didn't see it that way. <coughs> well, you were certainly lucky in 1996 when you acquired a four-year-old called Istabrak, whose name means silk in Arabic. Uh, he'd been bred and owned by Shadwell, trained by John Gosen, had a, a respectable career on the flat. And I believe John Durkin was instrumental in how you came to own him. Well, it was t for me. It was Timmy Hyde because. Uh, they told me that John was going to take out a trainer's license and uh, was going to have a few horses and uh, was going to train in, I think it was Newmarket. But he had a particular horse that was going to the sales and he said he's not the perfect model, but he thought he had a bit of an engine. So he went to the sales and he made uh, 38,000 and I remember to me, he said, I'll put a syndicate together and we'll have this horse. And I said, listen, John being Timmy's son-in-law mm -hmm. and who bought all my horses, I thought I would, uh, I'd be having a couple of horses with him in any event. So uh, if he didn't have somebody for him, I'd be happy to take him. So Timmy kindly passed him on and uh, we went from there. Now John, unfortunately, uh, that summer he uh, he didn't get very good news on the health front, and he was going for treatment in uh, to America. And uh, I remember speaking with Timmy, and I said, "Sure, we we'll leave him till John gets back." And uh, John, in measure of him, he said, "No," he said. Uh, I'd like him to be trained in the meantime. So it was a question of who do you want him to be trained by? 
or would you like him to betray him by John? Because that's who I was going to send him to. And he said, Aidan O'Brien. So I have to thank John for that. And not alone picking the horse, but picking the man. He was, he was a good judge of horse and man. Yeah. And for context, where, where was Aidan O'Brien in his career at this point? Uh, he'd, he'd done quite well now. He'd been champion trainer in Ireland, but he'd just moved into Belly Doyle. Right. And uh, I went down there. I had another horse with Aidan at the time that I thought a lot of. He was called he was, uh, Finnegan's Hollow. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, his sire was Bulldozer. So uh, when they went down to Aidan, uh, he had the two of them. And I was thinking Finnegan's Hollow was the horse like of the future, you know, uh, great white hope like. But mm-hmm. he used to keep saying to me that his sister Brackus, you know, I, I don't know which of them I'd. And I was thinking to myself, no, not alone. I have two of them that are moderate, you know. <laughs> but sure enough, it wasn't the case. Anyway, they both ran the same weekend. Uh, Finnegan's Hollow uh, ran at Navin, and Easterberg ran in Punchestown the weekend. I, I wasn't around, but the boat got beaten. So it wasn't a great start. But uh, Charlie. I was keen uh, that he would have a kind, uh, not that Charlie needed to know anywhere, but I was keen that he would have a nice introduction to racing. And, uh, you know, great if you win, but make sure he doesn't have a bad, you know, but mm-hmm. Charlie would look after him always <coughs> anyway. So, but anyway, he got beaten uh, not very far at Punchestown no. by, I think it was Noble, uh, Noble Tyne, was it? Or I think that's right. Willie Mullins. Yeah. 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 And uh, sure, he went on from there. He won the Grade One next in uh, Fairy House. The Royal Bond is right. He, he was Bond, he was gelded right. after after his first run, according to the Racing Post. Is that well, right? I think they got it wrong. Okay. Yeah, he, he was gelded. Uh, he was gelded before. Davey. Yeah, there wouldn't be a great much time between the Royal Bond and That's Christmas right. anyway. Yeah. You know, so you know uh, he. He ran then at Christmas, then he went to Leperstown uh, for the Delight and Touche, and uh, he finished, he beat Finnegan's Holland, not very far, but uh, then we had a decision to make going to Cheltenham, because we had won for both the Novice Holes, so it was decided that Finnegan's Holland should run in the Two Mile and Easterbrack in the Sun Alliance. and. Uh, Easterbrack, uh, or sorry, Finnegan's Hollow fell that year. He fell coming down the hill there at the third last. Thought he was going quite well at the time. And uh, Easterbrack won the next day. It was a strange race. He got very, very warm before the race, but you know, he was, it was nothing new to Easterbrack. He used to get warm, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they had a false start for us that day and uh, like, with Charlie, you never give many instructions. You just let him. He knew more about the horse than I did, right. so you just let him do his own thing. But he was getting, a, he was going to be free, so Charlie dropped him out. He must have been twenty lengths off the leaders at his stage, or. But uh, you know, he was in good hands, and you know, he came to challenge at the second last, and Charlie said, "You know," he said, "I can't I arrive too soon. I, sh- I should have held on to him even longer." 
but he, he showed great battling qualities. He, he got a he got a big bump at the second That's last, right. uh, and but anyway, he sailed up the hill. He won by about a length and a half mm. or so, you know. So he went from there. I think he went back to Punchestown, and uh, he won the novice hurdle there quite convincing. He certainly did, and I believe after Cheltenham. John Durkin was in hospital in America listening on the radio and he had yeah. said I believe from an early stage that this horse would win one of the novice hurdles at Cheltenham. He was very emphatic about that and uh, but John he wasn't a loud man he wasn't in by any manner of means he was softly spoken nice man or a kid I would say more so you mm -hmm. know and uh, it gave us all a great lift and John in in Stoke uh, Kettering, uh, he, he got a great lift out of it too because I think he was in a bit of a bubble at that stage, mm -hmm. you know, out there. And uh, it was a tough time for them. There was a lot of tear shed and there was joy, and at the same time, we were all sad for John and his uh, family. Uh, the following year, he, uh, he he ran seven times. He was entered in seven races, and he ran seven times. I don't think there was any entry made that he didn't run it. So, which is uh, some kind of a record. Yeah, he starts off that season in the. I'm guessing it was no coincidence the John James McManus Memorial Hurdle. He did. It was a race. Uh, you know, in '98 <coughs> it was. Um, my mother led him in, which was a very proud moment. It was the only time I ever, in in all my years, that I ever went about leading a horse in because my mother must have taken him on one side and she was a little bit feeble. So uh, it was it was a it was a great moment, mm. and uh, I'll remember it for a long time that day. Uh, he beat a horse of Noel Meath's Cockney Lad that day. Who was uh, yeah, he was a formidable con mm -hmm. contender, and you know he was he was probably at that time the second be best or two miler, yeah. you know. And he went on and won the Hatton's Grace, and then sure. the Grade Two at Christmas, and then sadly John Durkin passes away just days before Easterbrook wins the Irish Champion Hurdle for the first yeah. time. His funeral was the day before on the Saturday, and. Yeah, it was sad, Charlie. Uh, he won an armband that day right. in Leopardstown, and he got a great reception after winning. And I think a lot of that was John. Do you know it was Easterbrook, John Durkin? Do you know? Mm -hmm. Buried John up and step aside the night, the day before. Do you know? So. Mm -hmm. You felt a bit guilty about celebrating, you know. It yeah. didn't. It just didn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah but we th spoke about whether he should run or not, and he said, "Carol, his wife, uh, and whatever, said it's not what John would want." Do you know? Mm. And he ran. That was a. He ran and he won. Uh, so. Uh, Trying to think, I think he beat his song or something. Correct. Like that yeah. yeah. Written by uh, Richard Hughes that day. Yeah. Um, and Aidan apparently left a bit of improvement to come, so he he went up to the champion hurdle in March, and I believe 
Aidan gave you some, some words of confidence before, before the race. Well, I never ever went to see Histabrack work or any of my horses do I go to see them work because, do you know, I just let them get on with it. Mm. But uh, I went down to Aidan and to see him the Saturday before Cheltenham and uh, are you happy? He said, he'll just blow them away, he said. You know, he right. said, he'll just blow them away. Yeah. Oh, I, oh. You know, I was questioning the man's sanity when he was, you know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> his words came to pass. Mm. It was an exciting day that day to win a champion or to win one of the major races in Cheltenham. That was your first time to win one of those? That's right, yeah. Uh, I remember the day very well, you know. My mum was there, which is important because she she got a stroke shortly afterwards, and uh, you know it was it was the last time she would see him running again. Right. And so he 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 went on to uh, oh yeah he went on to entry from there. The ground was very very bad, but don't don't take anything away from Prid. Pridwell, written by AP. I still haven't forgiven him, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, full marks to Pridwell and Martin Pipe. And uh, he, he, while he wanted the ground lazy, he, he may not have been at his best on very heavy mm. ground, but it was the same for them all, you know. Yeah. Um, just on Cheltenham, Isabrax SP was three to one. Now, Aidan O'Brien saying he'll blow them away and a horse gone off three to one, doesn't add up to me. Yeah, well, uh, I got, uh, I remember at the time I, I backed him and I, uh, I uh, hardened it on the day, you know, I, I, I didn't back to anti-post, I remember, but I hardened it on the day, but you couldn't, uh, you couldn't shorten him. The bookmakers were opposed to him or whatever. Really? Yeah, I ran another horse in the same race, Grimes. Uh, I think he finished last, maybe. You know, but, uh, sure, I knew as much then as I do now. He, I'd have made sure he didn't start at three to one. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, did he come to Martinstown for summer breaks? No, I think Aidan was keen that he would stay in uh, Ballydoyle during the summer. Okay. He had a little paddock and he had a quiet animal to put with him. Right. And he said he'd just like to monitor him because his feet and all that, he wanted to keep a close eye on, on him. No, so Aidan uh, looked after him during the summer. Uh, the following season, he kicked off again in the John James McManus Memorial Hurdle. It was at Cork. It was time. at Cork. I think Tipperary was uh, having trouble with the drainage that year right. and uh, the meeting was shifted to Cork. And, um, you know, the race in Tipperary, it was a great stepping stone for him because the, the timing was right for that to that and Grace to, yeah. you know, we could space out yeah. his races. It was the ideal place yeah. to start off. It wasn't the, the routine's the same, as you say, Hatton's Grace, Christmas, Irish Champion Hurdle. Just, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I suppose. And this year, French Holly was on the scene and there was, he had plenty of supporters. He had plenty of supporters. Uh, yeah, ill-fated afterwards. <coughs> French Holly, he's a very, very good horse. 
but it is to break. You know, he was the champion. Yeah, I mean, in the commentary of that Irish champion hurdle said Isterbrack is playing with them, which is, uh, does appear to be the case. Well, he quickened a second time that yeah, day, yeah. which uh, it's not many horses you see do that, you know, so, yeah. I suppose going to Cheltenham then, you couldn't be anything but confident of him retaining his, his crown. Yeah, we were, I, f I, f I felt good about it anyway, you know, I felt, you know, if barren accidents, he, he was going to take a lot of beating. Um, is there nerves and pressure? I mean, he's kind of a people, like a, a hero of the Irish people at this stage, and the fans are singing him into the winner's enclosure. That, does that add to the nerves and pressure for you? Well, listen, I was, there was no real pressure on me. I'd, you know, it might have been on Charlie and Aidan and whatever, but the great thing about Easterbrook was I always knew where my family were going to be on a particular day because none of them ever missed out. I could never be sure where they were any time, but when Easterbrack was running, they were all there. Nobody missed out. So I have to thank him for that too, <laughs> you know. Um, after Cheltenham, he went to Aintree in Punchestown. As he mentioned, it was seven runs, seven wins, five of them were grade ones. That's just yeah. a remarkable season. Yeah. I think it, 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 it frightened off a lot of the opposition. They went chasing, they might have stayed hurling that time, you That's know, right, he just yeah. kind of looked kind of invincible, you know. Mm. Um, Limestone Lad came on the scene the following season, but Isterbrack beats him at Tipperary, but then goes to the Hatton's Grace, we've got soft ground, two and a half miles, and Limestone Lad beats him. Yeah, he beat him fair and square, but Limestone Lad was a very, very good horse, mm -hmm. and uh, I think he was ridden by Shane McGovern, who didn't, he wasn't even using his claim that day, mm. um, it was a grade one. You know, you can't take anything away from Limestone Lad, as I said, he beat him fair and square. There was two hurls missing that day because of the wind. There was two hurls taken out of the race or the ground. There was a, it was a windy day as well that day. It was the only time I never got to see him because I was to fly there and uh, we couldn't fly. Right. Yeah. That's the only time you weren't at the track. I anyway. wasn't at the track, so, yeah. So it, it, it was a sad day, but sad day that he got beaten, but relieved that he was all right after yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then he sets the record straight at Leopardstown at Christmas. And, oh sorry, he, run, he wins at Leopardstown at Christmas, but um, in the Irish champion hurdle then sets the record straight with Limestone Lad. He ran at Christmas as well, Limestone yeah. Lad, yeah. Did he run at Christmas? Okay, yeah. yeah. So that was his third Irish champion hurdle um, in January. So yeah. you're, you're going to Cheltenham for for the three in a row, but there's a bit of a scare before Cheltenham that year. There was, um, I got a call the night evening before from Aidan to say that when he arrived in Cheltenham there was blood in his nostril, nostrils and he said, what do you think? I said, Aidan, uh, you're the trainer, you know, you tell me, you know, uh, we'll see how he is in the morning and uh, he all seemed fine in the morning. Now, I was a bit nervous, I must tell you. I was a bit nervous about his well-being. I was a bit, you know, did he bleed? Did he bang his head? Did whether, you know, but I, I never really speak to anybody about instructions, but I knew Aidan would be kind of, well, keep him out of trouble, like just make sure you go. And I'm thinking, like, if there is any hiccup there, you mightn't have much to spare. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
I said to Charlie, listen, Charlie, you know, you, t you take every chance you can, you know. Take the paint off that inside rail if you like, you know, just don't be, um, you know, if, if, if he has a problem, he may not have as much in hand, you know. And fairness to Charlie, he carried out the, he carried, uh, he listened anyway, because before Charlie had come back in, I met Aidan, and before he said, well done, or that was great, and he said to me, you got to Charlie. <laughs> 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 and it, it is notable, it's, he is written right on the inside, and he hadn't done that the previous year, so there is no. a, a clear change in instruction. Yeah. I don't think, I think it was Norman Williamson was on the other road, so I don't think he was thinking Charlie was going to come up his inside, mm. you know. <laughs> uh, Norman will tell you he left the gap for him, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> no, that's yeah. It's been a huge relief. Yeah, the, the, the or it was the relief of knowing he was okay and he, he was. Yeah, the, the uh, excitement when he won was. Uh, there was always a lot of excitement when he won, but it seemed to be different, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was made everything about the, the trickle of blood from the nose was made public, you know, on the morning line they were discussing it and would he run or not. Well, you're in a no-win situation. If you don't announce it, you'd be criticised for not announcing mm -hmm. it if he didn't win and you should have made it known. If you do announce it and he wins the way he does, you um, Put feel God say, why did I say that? Yeah. Do you know? So, sometimes if you do what's right and, uh, you know, you might better off you yeah. know yeah. there's a lovely interview with you with john mccurrick on the morning of the race and he goes through your runners and just says you know are you expecting a bumper festival and your response to him is if the big horse wins the big race i'll be so happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that seemed to be seems to be all that mattered to you really um he still went off quite short despite that that scare i thought he was uh, eight to fifteen sp uh, yeah well i had nothing to do with that do you know mm. in, in that interview you say I wouldn't back him. Well, I wouldn't back him. You know, how can you back a horse with a scare about him? Yeah. At, like, even though he did a good preparation before that. And I think if I backed him, I would have been a real hypocrite, you mm. know. Yeah. A, an interview with you after the race as well. Derek Thompson says, asks how you felt when you heard the, the horse had a bit of blood in his nose and your response was, I got a nosebleed myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, three champion hurdles, four Cheltenham Festival wins. Just an incredible horse this point. And Brendan Grace uh, sang him into the winner's enclosure, or sang with you in the <laughs> winner's enclosure that day as well. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Late Brendan and great. He just yeah. seemed to love the horse as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he didn't go to Aintree or Punchestown there, and he missed his usual early season target. Was this a case of just minding uh, him out for the four in a row? I think having had the scare in, in, in uh, Cheltenham, I think we felt here maybe he's telling us something, you know, mm. so okay. we uh, just looked after him, yeah. 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 He next ran at Leopardstown at Christmas and the conditions that day were atrocious. Even the camera work, you can barely see, see the race, the way the camera's shaking with the wind and, and uh, this was the day he, uh, this was the, the first time he fell Oh yeah. in a race won by Moscow Flyer. How, how, how was that experience, seeing him fall oh, for the first time? It was a relief when he got up. Yeah. Thankfully the ground was soft. Mm. Yeah, funny now when I see him, he's, uh, see him in the stable, he's a little bit of arthritis in his neck, you know, he's a little bit of arthritis there, and yeah. I'd say it's from the, you think so, maybe yeah. that fall or the other fall at yeah. Lippers, so, yeah. do you know? 
Yeah. Were you worried? He, he went back to the Irish champion hurdle in January and um, he won easily. Were you worried about his, his confidence? Uh, you know, he, he's a brave horse. Mm. I, I was just worried that he, he used to take... He, he was such a fluent hurler that you were always afraid that he was going to stand off. Mm. He was getting braver and braver, that there was always that danger, yeah. do you know? Small margins. Mm. And of course, when the ground is heavy, those hurls are they're a couple of inches higher, mm. you know? But yeah, he wins, nice big jump at the last that day, and then it was all systems go for Cheltenham. He's odds-on favourite, going for four in a row, never been done before, going to make history. <coughs> and there was no Cheltenham that year. For, for the benefit of younger listeners, maybe, could you tell us why that happened well we got word that the foot and mouth that hit England and then there was an announcement that Irish horses well if they went they wouldn't be able to come back or whatever but we don't mind mid up anyway we weren't going to go because usually what happens is usually be- for the best you know, you know it was disappointing but it might have been all for luck because you never know what would have happened mm. do you know so we tried to take that view but so you, you're not one to get angry, punch the wall, There was the no point. Like, there was bigger problems facing the country at that time than Isterbrek winning a four-champion hurl. Like, you know, the farmer played such a big part in our country and uh, we have to respect the brave decision that our administrators were making. And uh, the Minister for Agriculture was Joe Walsh. And, you know, Joe was a great racing man. He'd have wanted to go to Cheltenham. He'd have wanted to see the Irish horse go. But... In fairness, he'd done what was right, and uh, might be a little bit disappointed, but you know, it was the right decision, I've no doubt. Absolutely. Um, gets back to the track in April, uh, again facing Moscow Flyer, and again falls at the last hurdle in Eppertstown. It's strange, all right. Uh, yeah. Again, thankful that he got to his feet quickly, mm. do you know, and... Uh, the following season, just the one run before Cheltenham. They had one run in Leopardstown. That's right. He was uh, he beat Arthur Jesse Harrington's. I just can't remember his name now. Uh, not very far ahead or a neck right or something. Ahead, right, yeah. Yeah. I, I think he was giving him twelve pound that horse of, of uh, Jesse's that day. But I never got the real feeling that he was flying. Yeah. I I don't know. Like he started two to one or something in the champion hall like he he was ten you know Charlie sensibly pulled him up that day do you know he felt he wasn't right do you know like I let the decision to Aidan Aidan made all those decisions you know and uh, Charlie felt he wasn't right and thankfully pulled him up after the second and he got a great reception that day Uh, it was all the poor people who lost their money on him that day and still there a lot of them are clapping their hands mm. so it, it, it was a very moving time yeah. I've seen AP say that he thinks uh, Mr. Brack and Cotto Star must be the only two horses to be pulled up at Cheltenham and get a, a round of applause like for a reception like that from the crowd yeah both of them favourites mm. or I, I don't know if Cotto Star was favourite maybe Long Run was favourite I'm not sure but uh, he came home uh, from Aidens then to retire and we didn't announce his retirement on the day uh, or anything like that. That's not a day to make those decisions. That day belonged to Horlalawa. He won the champion hurl. We were beaten. So mm-hmm. that was his day in the sun. So 
you had to leave him with his thunder, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think both Aidan and myself and Charlie in discussions felt maybe, you know, we, without saying it, we all felt he should, we should retire him. So we announced his retirement and we brought him home here. And all I can say is, come August or September, that horse w- was never sounder than he was then. He was, uh, it's strange, you know. Mm. But I'm glad we retired him because if we hadn't announced his retirement, we would have continued on and goodness knows what might have happened. So I'm glad we retired him. And he's here in Martinstown now. Um, He's had a number of great horses sharing the paddock with him. Risk of Thunder and then Captain Seabee, who I've made an episode of this podcast about him now, I think Gil Gamboa. Yeah, he's still, you know, he, he... he tries to act like a young horse, but he's getting a little bit older. Mm. You know, he's a little bit of arthritis now in his neck, yeah. a little bit, but the girls down there massage him every day, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so in love with him. Uh, yeah. What is he, 29 now? Or? Yeah, he's 29, gone there on in uh, May. So yeah. I was he gets birthday cakes of carrots and well they make them up there for yeah, the, yeah. it's a kind of an occasion down there when it's Easter Breck's birthday mm. but uh, I don't know who will take over from him when he you know but mm. uh, yeah, he's in good company yeah I believe even now or recently when you go racing every, every time you go racing you'll be asked someone will say oh, I have Easter Breck I'd say I, have, I don't go racing a single day I'd say without somebody asking and some days when you go to Cheltenham or that your ass before you get inside the track. <laughs> I was used to break, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I'm interested in, just in your opinion, on he was a good flat horse, but such an exceptional hurdler. For context, he was beaten off 83 on the flat and reached the peak of 176 over hurdles. What, what, why do you think there's such a huge difference in ability in those codes? Just is it his? He's such a good jumper, or? Well, that that definitely helps. I, I, I can't say, you know, John Durkin obviously saw a lot of improvement mm. in him. You know, he's a, he's a three-quarter brother to a derby winner, Secreto. Yeah. Uh, so he was bred to be good on the flat, but, you know, maybe maybe things didn't go his way, maybe he had his problems when, when he was being trained on the f- flat. But uh, uh, I think John saw the potential anyway, mm-hmm. thankfully. Yeah, thankfully indeed. Um, yeah. You've had so many brilliant horses, so much success, but Isterbeck, is he is he the, still the one to stand out? Actually, he stands out. Yeah, I, I I have to say that. Yeah, yeah. If we get one half as good, we won't be doing too bad. <laughs> um, JP McManus, th- thank you so much for telling me all about Isterbeck. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it, so I'm I'm very grateful. So thank you very much. Thanks for being here with me, Mark. And allowing us to tell the story. All right, there we have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Thank you so much to JP McManus, and also a word of thanks to Lara in Martinstown, who looks after Isterbrack and kindly facilitated me meeting him. Uh, Not to sound like an overexcited teenage girl, but it really was. It was one of the best days of my life. So thanks to everyone involved. 
Uh, a huge thanks as ever to the show sponsors Horse Racing Ireland. I really loved having them on board for this second season, so thank you to everyone involved in that. And there are links to the HRI social media channels in the show notes, so please do go and have a look and give them a follow on there. This episode is the season finale, so there'll be no new episodes for a few weeks, but all being well, I'll be going out and making some more in the meantime. Uh, my Twitter DMs are always open, so feel free to send me suggestions there. Uh, I take note of any and all ideas sent my way. If you are new to this show, please do go and have a look through the back catalogue. Uh, I'll be very surprised if you don't see another horse or another episode in there that you'd like to listen to. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you get notified of any new episodes. And I will, of course, post any updates in the meantime on Twitter. Lastly, uh, thank you so much for listening. It is hugely, hugely appreciated, as are any kind words on social media, messages, Apple podcast reviews. So thank you to absolutely everybody who's ever done any of those things. And uh, that's it. So take care. And we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.